Well, hello. hello. My name is Dennis Helton. <laughs> and I am the sergeant of uh, these troops. And the reason I say that is that a sergeant is really under the orders to keep his people alive. And so I want to keep you alive spiritually by the very power of the Word of God as we are in this and uh, we want to stay alive until we are in the presence of our leader, the King, when absolute victory is over. In the meantime, we are in war. And don't ever forget it. Don't ever put your weapons down. And uh, I am here to make you aware of the weapons you have been given. And the weapons this morning, we'll see, coming right out of the fruit of the Spirit that we've been looking at. Now, um, this is something that we've, we've been on and dealing with, but uh, we're going to tie that up this week, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you might have heard of the story where Eskimos, actually, whenever they have trouble with wolves, packs of wolves, they'd have to kill them. And the way that they figured out how to kill them was to take a really razor-sharp knife, put blood on it, and then freeze that. Then take another coat of blood and go out and freeze that. Another blood and freeze that. They'd keep doing that. And then they would stick that knife up in the air out in the ground. And then those hungry wolves that come after that. They have no control over their appetite. And they come and lick that blood. And as they're licking that blood, they are ripping their tongues and they are bleeding to death. And they die. They're killed that way. Because of their insatiable desires that they have no control over. And so it is is that we don't want to be destroyed by our insatiable desires. You know, we've probably had a lot of New Year's resolutions. Maybe some of you guys do that, or a lot of you have probably given up on even doing that. But uh, some of you might do it. You have promises to yourself. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do weightlifting. I'm going to get on the exercise machines. I'm going to do the walking machine, the running machine. I'm going to jog. I'm going to do all of this, and I'm going to keep it up. And then we fail horribly. Have you ever done that? Has anybody ever been there? Just me? Okay. Well, we know little about self-control on our physical aspects. We try, and uh, sometimes we might do pretty good, but uh, there's always something that just kind of keeps coming up that kind of can destroy that. But I want to tell you there's something even more important, and it's in the spiritual realm of self-control. Over the past couple of months, we've been putting together a fruit salad. And uh, this fruit salad uh, now comes to the climactic final fruit that we uh, put at the end of this. And Stephen Lawson, I think, had something very interesting to say about that. Would you guys like me to read a quote from Stephen Lawson that was, I thought, very insightful? You ready? Uh, I heard nobody say, yes, we want to hear it. Oh, okay, all right, we'll do it. Uh, Since you beg of me. By occupying this final position... Self-discipline assumes a place of strategic importance. In reality, self-discipline is the summation of the previous eight qualities that the Spirit produces. The work of the Spirit reaches its consummation in self-control. This virtue enables us to realize every other aspect of spiritual fruit. It helps us 
sum this all up. All the other fruit that we've looked at, love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on, right? Those fruit that are listed in Galatians 5:22 and 23 empower us to live an incredible life. I mean, it's an overwhelming kind of life we can live with what we've been given. And it's interesting, we see in this study that all these fruits come together and tie in as one. Right? So it's one fruit. So as we're filled with the Spirit of God, be filled with the Spirit. As you're filled with the Spirit, the fruit will then begin to show in your lives. And uh, it'll, it'll begin to show more and more. And it'll manifest what's inside to the outside. It's just not an outward thing that's going on. So this is how we're conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ as He is working in us. And uh, this, uh, this fruit is happening. By the way, conform to the very image. Uh, I think Wednesday night, there's a, there's a lot of things in here that we're dealing with tonight that it may sound like if you heard Wednesday night uh, and, and what Luke did on, on uh, renewing the mind, it has very much, um, I guess there's a complementary aspect of what we're doing here today, of what was said there. And, uh, of course, that's what it's about. Don't be tr- uh, conformed to the uh, image of the world what the world is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or be conformed to the image of Christ. And so that's what we're about. Self-control, I think, sounds so simple. We hear about it all the time. It sounds even commonplace, I believe, sometimes. Uh, It's really not a flashy concept, self-control. I mean, if you see a title like that, and I've got it right up there, uh, self-control, you go, okay, yeah, right, uh, right, I know. It, it doesn't seem real attractive. Hey, we're going to be talking about self-control today, and, and I'm sure everybody is standing up, whoo-hoo, all right. You know, it doesn't turn heads, it doesn't grab uh, the headlines. It's seemingly small. It, it can be, as we might say, no to the next Oreo, the, the next um, ice cream cone that uh, is dangling in front of us, the next French fry, uh, or the next milkshake. I'm saying some of the things that I guess I like real well. Or another half hour of Netflix. Or saying no to uh, some of the time we spend on Facebook. Sometimes we have to control ourselves there. I know I do. And um, anyway, uh, sometimes I've controlled myself pretty good in that I just didn't have time to get to the computer. And so therefore, I, I, I put it up there as self-control. <laughs> Uh, not, a, not that's not a good point for me. But anyway, uh, we can say yes to sobriety, to sexual purity. Uh, we can say yes that I want my attitude to be right and not be angered. It's at the height of a Christian living in a fallen world when he has self-control. That's the height of a Christian. One of the most difficult things you can do is self-control. It is really hard. Matter of fact, it's very important. We have to learn to maintain the control. It's a beast of one's own sinful passions. Whatever that may be. Um, Self-control may be the epitome of this. Easier said than done. We can really think things and then say things, but boy, when it comes to it, it's hard to keep doing that self-control. Matter of fact, I want to tell you like this. It's actually impossible (laughs) to have self-control. 
life of patience, a life of gentleness, a life of goodness, all of those, right? It's really impossible to do those. Why? Because that's not the nature of mankind. He's not characterized by those things, by those kind of fruits, but it's by the Spirit that we do put these virtues as display. We put them on display in our lives when we're being led by the Spirit of God, when we're being filled by the Holy Spirit, we're filled by the Word of God. Right? It's the Spirit that makes all of this possible. Otherwise, it just can't be done. So we're saying how important this is as we're called to a life of self-control, discipline, godliness, sanctification in an ungodly, dissolute, hedonistic type of culture that we live in. And so we want to be doing a life that doesn't go backward, but we want to keep going forward. Uh, It's a... Christian self-control is is our sanctification, really. Matter of fact, all of these fruit are. It is necessary for a life of diligent, constant obedience to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. In Galatians 5.23 is where we will find self-control as it ends that up in such things the law is not against. Where you know all of these fruit, the the law doesn't condemn any of those. All those are good because they come from God. Let's pray, Father. We thank you, and as we come here to worship you this morning, in spirit and truth, as we present truth and present the gospel, we rely totally upon you. I'm just a messenger, but give me the words to say that can help all of my comrades in this battle and in this war that never ends until our great commander comes back. What a position you put us into in this war. And uh, really, you are the commander and chief while we're there. Help us to be worthy of this call. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just like always, We start off with, what is it? Defined. What is self-control? The way that God defines it. Not the way that the world defines it. The word is enkratea. And the word, um, there's a root word there, krat. It it means power or lordship. I get that. Power or lordship. Self-discipline means to have power over oneself. Think about that. That's really what the Greek word means. To actually have power over yourself. That sounds interesting. You think of power over things and power over other people, but power over self. That's a fruit of the Spirit that we can have power over ourselves. It's ability to keep oneself under control. You have that fruit to do that. The word means or indicates self-mastery over your inner desires, over your thoughts, your deeds, your words, everything to have control over that. The the very concept of it implies a battle. And we were just saying earlier this morning, we're in the war, we're in the battle. The battle is always going on. We forget about the battle. I forget about the battle. I forget about the war. I just think everything's (laughs) hunky-dory. 
until uh, truth and reality of the word comes to you uh, quickly and uh, you go, oh, that's right. <laughs> we are in a war. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy the Lord. We should be. But uh, this implies a battle between, or I think you could say, a divided self. If you can picture that. A divided self. It implies that our self produces desires that we should not satisfy. And desires can be a good word, can be a bad word. Those things that God has in mind for you, and if we're obedient to Him, being filled with the Holy Spirit, then that's good. But also desires can be what the world is planting there for us to do. And we're not to satisfy that. So your battle, the biggest battle is not even Satan, even though that's he is against us and we war against him. And not even the world, even though that be true, but our biggest battle is the self or the flesh, meaning the same thing. So we are to say no to those sinful desires. And so where you have self-mastery when it actually exists, there's a strong resistance to any kind of sensual pleasures, appetites, sinful choices, anything that comes up there that we know that, hey, this is not in agreement with the Word of God. Why is it there then? It must be good because God must have sent it there. If it's not dealing with the Word of God and it does not come lining up with that, it's sinful, and here's where you have to meet it. Here's where your self-control has to take over because the war wants the best of you and wants to take you down. And it's up to us, it's up to me to keep lifting people back up when they've been shot at. Keep lifting back up with this Word and it can make us strong and we don't have to succumb to those things. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it's a real battle. It's a real war constantly over and over. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is a great text for this for though we walk, in verse 3, in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, or uh, the, the very flesh. It's a spiritual thing. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. You get that? Divinely powerful. The Holy Spirit power. For the destruction of fortresses. You see, we've gotten these fortresses set up. The world has given us, and we've put them up there. And they are there. At the same time, they have to be taken down. And it says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, the Word of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking it captive. What do you do? You take in captives when you're in war. If they're not shot and they're still alive, you take in captives. We want to take every thought, every action, every word, all those deeds. We want to take those captive and be held in bondage to what the Word of God is. Because you're being attacked. And attacked tremendously. We're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. And all those speculations and lofty thoughts and all the philosophies that the world has, we're to be knocking those fortresses down. 
shooting with with cannons, (laughs) with missiles, if need be, taking those fortresses down because that's what the world is set up in you. And of course, that's what the self wants. The other self, it's that man who we war against, as in 1 Corinthians 7, I don't do the things I should be doing. I do the things that I shouldn't be doing. Right? Take those down. Fire the missiles at them. Bomb them. Take them down. Any advance in personal holiness demands self-control. This is where it's at. This is how we we beat the sin. The opposite of self-discipline is a self-indulgent lifestyle that produces the works of the flesh, which we actually found in our Galatians 5. And so this is what can be happening against us. You have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the opposite of that? The works of the flesh. Chapter 5, verse 19. And if I get in the right book, it would help. Okay. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the things that are the characteristics of the nature that we were born with. That's the things that we we did. We don't do those things now. We don't practice those things. But they can be thoughts in our minds. And yes, we can have get into the part where it deals with the outburst of anger and disputes and, and such. But we are to fire our missile shots at those two. Any lack of self-control will be resulting in sinful deeds. That's what it amounts to. Okay, we've looked at what it is. Look at, uh, let's look at what it is not. That will help us too. What it's not. Because some people say self-control. Yeah, I know what that means. And you can take some Christian and say, here's what it means. And they will come on strong with a Pelagian view. And um, you can say, well, what's that? Uh, there's two views in the Christian life that people will take as self-control. And it's semi-Pelagian and Pelagianism. We'll start with Pelagianism. And what it does, it distorts the very truth of what this self-discipline is. In the 4th century, there was a British monk. He was an ascetic, of all things asceticism. He's really into his own legalism, laid down the law for himself. And it was because he could do these kind of things. It was in the 4th century that he was living. And he taught a very fatal error that destroys people, even though it sounds so good. He said, you have in you inherently the ability to save and sanctify yourself. Now, he believed in Christ, he said. He just attacked the gospel by a person's sheer force of will. You can do whatever you want. 
you can accomplish God's will by just making up your mind you're going to do it. You yourself can do this. And you can choose to be saved. Pelagius denied original sin. That means you were born in sin. He, he denied that fact. He denied that biblical view that had already been taught in the church for 400 years. And I want to tell you, when you deny original sin, when you deny total depravity, you have no gospel. It comes down to you yourself. You don't need the cross. All the cross does to to that really is it just makes it possible for you to be saved. But it's up to you to do it, to accomplish God's will. So he was really a big pusher of free will. Free will. Man may discipline himself by self-determination. I'm going to buckle up my bootstraps and I'm going to do this. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I can do this. I choose God. I choose Jesus Christ. More power to you, man. Plagius was denounced in the body of Christ as a heretic. And thank the Lord he was. Because that laid down the very ground roots. If anybody comes along, there was a council of, uh, of the church back in the first centuries of the church. That's the whole body of Christ had to meet together whenever there were certain challenges, whether it be dealing with the Trinity or the deity of Christ. Very important doctrines that nobody could budge on. The church is solid on these. And of course, they denounced Him. And tragically, the thing is, is Pelagianism remains today, remains right in the church today. And many today falsely assume that they can simply will themselves into salvation and be and do whatever they want to be. And that is a mantra in today's self-help society. Self. Self. Self-help. Self-esteem. Right? The prosperity gospel is that in itself. If you can think and say certain terms and really believe it, it will happen to you. If you're a Christian, everything should go right all the time perfectly if you have the right kind of thinking. Because you can get to the point where you don't even have sin. Because that's great. That's great. That's, that's not biblical though. And, and we, we look in here where we see that we do have a war. What the mind can conceive, the will can accomplish. That's the idea of Pelagianism. The ability of self-discipline is within you. Not necessarily the fruit of the Spirit, is it? It's really you. Because you weren't born with sin. You can choose good and evil. You can choose God on your own. You don't need His grace. Now, there's another one that doesn't sound quite as bad, and it's called semi-Pelagianism. And you know what semi is? And I'm not thinking about one of those that drives down the road. I guess that is semi. They have two parts, don't they? You ever seen uh, you know, a semi, just the truck itself, going down the road with no trailer behind it? That guy's barreling on, I can bet you. <laughs> semi. Um, kind of. It's really a synergism. Synonym, you know, you think of synergism, man with God. You say, okay, well, now that sounds more true. God has done His part. Now I have to do my part. Well, that, you know, in a sense, 
there is truth to that to some degree, but be careful. A person must supply his willpower and he's in partnership with God. God did his 50% and I'm going to do my 50% to be saved. Ooh, that's erroneous. That's horrible. That is the gospel here in America. For most of the body of Christ today, that's the gospel. God and man are co-contributors to self-discipline. Now, it does sound kind of right. There is a measure of grace, but man must supply the rest. And it's not all God. And even Billy Graham, which a lot of things I you know, would agree with, and, and of course he talks about depravity of man and such, a lot of things there that have been good, God has blessed. But Billy Graham has uh, said something that I really say that is uh, absolutely biblically wrong. It's 99% God and 1% man. It's not 50-50 here, like a lot of people. 99 and 1. Where in Scripture do you see that? It sounds right. I still have to do my part. I have to believe and I have to trust and I have to repent. But where does that come from? Did you choose to be born in your as your person? Before time existed, were you somewhere existing somewhere and then some at somewhere in time that you came into being and, and you made that happen? Of course not. I don't think there's anybody that was you know. I did not have control over my birth, where I was going to live. What I was going to, to, you know, all the things that did, and even when I was growing uh, up as a little infant, you know, I didn't even have control even at that, even after I was born, you know. Uh, I was totally dependent. Well, um, I want to tell you that the church came along in one of the councils, the Second Council of Orange, in 529, and they saw that as heresy also. Thank the Lord. The whole body of Christ. When they lay that down, anything else is considered to be outside the realm of Christianity. It's considered to be um, what you could say would be um, other religion. Uh, would be cultish if we don't go along with basic elements of the Christian truth. I want to tell you, there was a man that came along in the 1800s by the name of Charles Finney who probably did more damage to the church in within the last 150 years or so than anybody ever. Because he started introducing things into the church and he was using this semi-Pelagianism. Even, even Pelagianism. When it really came down to... You are not depraved. You really don't have original sin. You have the mind and the ability to choose Jesus Christ. And so when the, when the, uh, as the 1800s went through, we started seeing an Arminianism that came in. And, and really, semi-Pelagianism is Arminianism, which does not believe in the depravity of man, which does not believe that God chooses you, but you choose God. And you think of all the aspects of the five, we think of the five uh, grace, doctrines of grace, and it, Arminianism goes against every one of those. You think of total depravity. You think of unlimited election. 
You think of the limited atonement. You think of irresistible grace and perseverance. That's why they teach that you can lose your salvation. Perseverance. You, you have to persevere on your own. It's you that has that grace that can choose God. You know, He gives you a, a, a limited amount of grace, but it's you and now that you have that. And uh, that's not scriptural. And I believe um, the um, Wesley came up with that thought. John Wesley. There are some good things about John Wesley, but there again, he goes against the grain of biblical orthodox teaching in the matter of salvation. Every Christian is responsible to pursue holiness. We are responsible. So we're not negating that. And, but we know that God is the sole author of salvation. He is also the sole author of sanctification. He's the sole author of glorification. It's Him that does it. And that is called monergism. Mono means one. Monergism. All God. Synergism is, means we cooperate with God. God cooperates with us. So it's a matter of works. So it's either a grace salvation where He does all or a matter of works salvation where we help Him out. Or we do... It's on us now. He's done His part. So the atonement actually is limited from an Arminian view because it only goes so far. It doesn't go all the way across it's, it's a bridge that stops in the middle. I've done my part at the cross, Jesus says. Now it's up to you. You have to finish the bridge to take it on over. The only problem is, is they forget about total depravity, which means you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 says, which means you cannot respond to things of spiritual nature, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Semi-Pelagianism. Now, what's the biblical view of this? You can say, well, it's, it did sound really close. I know. I, I know. It, it is, and but yet it's so far away. See, Christ already prepared it. He said it is finished. The bridge is built all the way across. It doesn't depend on us to build the rest of the bridge. It's already been done. Right? It is finished. The work of Christ is We are responsible. God must work in us to produce spiritual godliness. In Philippians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's about His will. His work. He is in us. His work is here. He gets all the glory. We don't get 1% of the glory. It's all Him. But the thing is, while He is now working in us, we now have the possibility, as I used that word earlier, He not only made salvation possible, He made it happen. But our sanctification, now it's possible to not sin. But the problem is, is that this war that we have, we still battle the sin. It still can be there. Now, we should have a lot of victories. A lot of sins should be taken out. But Augustinian taught rightly. 
as Martin Luther taught rightly on this monergism, as Jonathan Edwards, the greatest theologian that America has ever had, as the church has, I think, proudly stated, a man of God that kept it awake when had a great awakening, believed in monergism. And you go on and on. And all the ones who have been godly men who taught the Word of God, whether it be people like Spurgeon, he taught the Word of God. He taught monergism. We get into our century and we think of um, people like MacArthur and Alistair Begg and Erwin Lutzer and R.C. Sproul and um, we can go on and on. Steve Lawson. Steve Lawson. Ferguson. Ferguson. Conrad uh, Mabiwi. Conrad Mabiwi. You know, this is in our time. We could just go on and on and on. And these are our our writers, our expositors, who are based upon not just Augustinian thought, but biblical thought. And that's really where all this is at. You see what the world did? And you see what the world does with free will? And you see how the world can get into the church? And for like 200 years, actually for 2,000 years, this kind of doctrine the church has always had to battle with because people don't want the grace. They want to do something that they have done and get credit for. And yet we are to do it. We are to be obedient in it. Because it says in Philippians 2.12, when I read verse 13, I hadn't read 12 yet, and here's 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's a battle, it's a struggle, it's hard, it's fearful, it's trembling. Uh, We take the Word of God as truth and we want to make sure that we uh, bring honor to God. And he says, work out your salvation. Don't work for it. You work it out because, he says in the next verse, it's God who works in you for His will. In Ephesians 2, 8-10, through For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of works. It is a gift to God. And he says, then He gives us the works Works that were planned before the foundation of the world that we are to do. And He gives you the ability to now do it when you didn't have it before. Okay. Pelagianism? Semi-Pelagianism. Does that help? Some of you might not be familiar with those terms, but then again you go, oh yeah, I've heard that. Okay, the source of self-control, and we've already talked about that. Source is the Holy Spirit. Source is God the Father. The source is Jesus. As a vine produces fruit, Self-discipline is created exclusively by the Holy Spirit. Self-control is never generated by us, but it's grace within us. Though we are active in participating, and yes, we are to be obedient. I never strike that away. And shame if we're not. We simply bear this fruit of self-discipline. We never produce it though. We do not produce it. As sap flows into the branch and then fruit is produced, it's divine grace that causes all that. It fills that believer. You can say, well, how does the Spirit produce this fruit of self-control in us because I haven't seen it? (laughs) How does He do that? Well, by instructing us in the superior Word of God, and in the preciousness of His grace, He enables us to see and savor 
or trust. Just, when you see God, you don't see Him visibly, but you do trust in Him, don't you? And it's almost like you see Him. I mean, you can't wait to think about some of the great attributes of who He is, the beauty of Him. You think of those excellencies and His gentleness and His patience and His kindness, His goodness, His love, His mercy, His grace. You think on those attributes and I want to tell you, things start coming alive and they start clicking in your own mind. You're seeing and savoring Christ and seeing the beauty of His excellencies as Jonathan Edwards spoke of so much by instructing us in this by His grace. It says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, Titus is after the Timothy passages. 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, <laughs> bringing salvation to all men. Now, we don't have a time to spend with the all men because we know that not everybody is saved. Matter of fact, Few there be to find it, and but we don't have the time to do the all men. If you have a question on that, uh, please ask me. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In the meantime, he says, looking for that blessed hope. Come back. He always qualifies what we're to do now with the fact, hey, just remember, He's going to come back. But it's always good to look back at the cross because that's where everything is based at. Here's where we're at now and here's what's going to happen in the future. That's why we have all this hope. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we are in a gleeful mood. We are joyous, aren't we? Because you have the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. The vine produced that. Holy Spirit works immediately when He implants a new spiritual nature, and that's the miracle of all miracles, when He takes a dead man and makes him come back to life. He resurrects them, brings life to them. Regeneration, it's called. You see regeneration found in John 3. By the way, if you can uh, get an opportunity, listen to John MacArthur's um, uh, presentation of John chapter 3. He's been doing that for the last week, and I think it will take some time. But uh, a fellow member of this church, I still call him a member uh, in spirit and way, uh, Peter, I, th- um, I think this might have been the first series that he did to edit. He is the editor of Grace to You. Thank the Lord. That's a great thing to be saying about. And, and you guys contributed to that. And uh, we, we helped send money as he went through seminary. And uh, there's where the Lord has him now as he awaits to do um, in the very near future to start a seminary in Chicago, Illinois. A reformed seminary. Yeah. And, um, but um, he put that series together. He's the editor. And that's where he started at and, uh, just a few months back. The Holy Spirit also works immediately, not only immediately regenerating us, but He uses means to work on us. And the biggest means that He uses, it's not anything surprising, it's the Word of God. And the Spirit of God then takes that Word, makes it come alive, and fruit bears. That's how... We bear this fruit. That's how the Spirit produces the fruit. Look in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Back before people 
were really talking about the Holy Spirit at that time when he wrote this. It says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how it's done, folks. His Spirit. And you talk about powerful. It's not any kind of power that we have, but it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. What about Jesus? Well, His power is in us, and we find in 2 Corinthians 5.14 this wonderful passage about Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but Christ also lives in us. 2 Corinthians, the Spirit of Christ, chapter 5, verse 14, says, For the love of Christ controls us. You ever thought about that? We know the whole, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, but the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That's love, isn't it? That's how He showed, the, the I think, the best example of love right there at the cross. John 15, verse 5. This is Jesus. Jesus who is giving us this power to exhibit our fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, he who lives in me, he who sticks around, one who sticks around, remains, hupomeno, who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's Jesus. Looking, well, we did our Philippians 4.13, didn't we? That He's working in us, right? And to do His will. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. He's the one that gives us the strength because He considered me faithful, putting me into service. But what does He say? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Jesus is the best example of self-control of any human that has ever lived on this earth. And Scripture produces a picture of Jesus practicing self-control. Look at Hebrews 4.15. While He was in in His body here on earth, He was practicing self-control. You don't have to think of God up in heaven, the Father practicing self-control because um, He has everything. He's not ever tempted. That there, there's nothing there that would that He has. Oh, I gotta, I gotta watch out there. That could get me. <laughs> but Jesus, when He was here on earth, whenever He was man, you know, He He came like us, right? For we do not, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize. He was here. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Was he tempted? Yes. Did he ever sin? No. Could he have sinned? No. Because he's God. That's right. He was incapable of sin. That's powerful. But we still can sin. Theoretically, we don't have to sin. First Peter chapter two, 
22 and 23. He had all this power. Verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose. Who have been called to? Look at this. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, as you suffer, you've been called to do that. And Peter, the whole Peter book of First Peter is dealing with that. It tells our position, but yet at the same time it tells what we're doing here in our war. Uh, and there is suffering. He says, "...who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly." Then he bore our sins. Wow! That is self-control. He could have called down 10,000 angels and been delivered. He could have just, he didn't even have to call angels. He could have just popped out of there and just disappeared. Sometimes he did do that. But he had a message. And his message has been done. Now his work had to be done. And he had to be done at the cross because it's already been figured out. That's the only way that we can be regenerated. Now, when he was in the garden, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But your will be done. Well, that was the will. He knew that. There's the humanist aspect there, but the thing is, he's going to do what he has to do. He was self-controlled there. He could have done something different. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. He did what his flesh... I mean, he didn't do what his flesh wanted to do. Do you see the battle that he was dealing with? Or the temptation of Christ? Like in, in Matthew, for instance. Philippians 2.8 says what? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That is the best example of self-control that I know of. Now, what does self-control looks, look like? And you can get the picture of an athlete training for and competing in the ancient Olympic Games. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25. starts off in 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? You know about that. They run, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the game exercises what? Self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. What Paul did with the games is the same kind of method that Jesus did whenever he used agrarian examples about uh, whether it be farming, planting the seed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, here, Paul is out in the Greek realm and one of their biggest things is the Olympic Games. Well, if you look at our deal, I mean, we're already preparing for the Olympics. Is it 19, 20, or, uh, 20, 24, 20, something like that? of getting it here in the United States. That's a long time off. I mean, that's a big deal. The Olympics, man, whenever that's happening during those weeks, I mean, that's, I mean, everything stops and everybody watches the Olympics, right? Yeah, some, anyway. But um, 
He saw how everything can relate to eternity. So he got on their level, took it with him, and he used the Olympics. A runner. If a runner would win the prize, he has to take his entire life and be under strict discipline of rigorous training. Hard training. And that's what they do. That's, that's what they do all day long, every day, seven days a week. Rigorous training. You know, the American athletes. And they're raised up. I mean, some of them start out three, four, five, six years old for the training for the Olympics. And that's all they do. And when that time comes, you know, they, they built themselves up to that. Uh, that's giving up a lot of individual freedoms that they could have, a lot of liberties. They have to have the proper diet always and have sufficient rest. And, uh, boy, the drills that they go through. Every area of that Olympian athlete's life is under control. I mean, there is self-control. That's what, that's what it looks like. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, then he takes it to a boxer. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. You know, you have a focus on where you're going, and when you box, you just don't go out and just start flailing, hope you just, you know, meet the guy. If you go start doing that, you're going to be punched out in, in about one punch, right? I mean, you just can't start doing that. A champion boxer lands a blow on his opponent that, that counts. He's, he would be undisciplined. An undisciplined fly, uh, fighter will throw punches that will uh, get him into trouble. An undisciplined believer suffers great defeats. He gets knocked down whenever he has a, uh, a bout against sin. And he starts flailing away aimlessly. A believer must live within self-control in fighting against sin. And then in verse 27, it's the champion athlete, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after a while I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You can be disqualified from the Olympics, from the race. And if you're not having the self-control, even in your training, you can be kicked off the team. You can be disqualified. You can be disqualified in the race if you do something that's wrong. He beat his body into submission. If not, disqualified. Paul says this spiritually. He urges us to discipline our bodies, resist sinful desires. And if not, we'll forfeit the prize. He's not talking about forfeiting uh, salvation if we're Christians. But he's talking about forfeiting our very witness, our ministry, and everything that we do. People say, that guy doesn't look like a Christian to me. Because he forfeited a prize. There's a prize there waiting for us at the end of the race. So he uses that analogy. That's what self-control actually looks like. And so we are Christians in training. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. But I have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. <laughs> On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. Train yourselves for godliness. To pursue holiness. A believer must hear biblical preaching. 
You must be reading on your own, but at the same time, you have to be taught and to be able to grow. Otherwise, you'll stay in a, a limbo. You know, I'm not growing. That's why the church comes together. That's why your duty is is to meet with other people in the church. If you don't have that teaching, if you don't have corporate worship, you're not disciplined. The enemy is going to destroy you. He's going to take you down. The Lord's Supper, Bible reading, meditation, prayer, fellowship, these are disciplines. This is our life. Yeah, we go to work and we work eight hours a day or whatever. You say, well, that's my life. Yeah, but you take all of that in with you when you do that. It's not separate. But make sure that this is your life. Privately, corporately. We are disciplined when we come here and count on the Word of God to change us. We want to be changed, don't we? Uh, If we don't have discipline, we won't have victory. We are going to be out of shape believers. You ever seen anybody out of shape? Don't be looking. Flabby faith. How about that one? Flabby faith. Spiritual couch potatoes. You like that one? Would you like to be called that? No, I wouldn't. How about a spiritual bulging waistline? Our lifestyles can be self-indulgent, all about our own comforts, and it's due to lack of self-control. Okay. After all this being said, we've got to get down to wrapping this up. It's fierce. It's a fierce fruit that God has given us. A fierce fruit of self-control. The Hebrews were promised the land, but they were to do what? To take it by force. And here's the thing. God has given them everything to do. They do believe in Him. After they are believers, they are equipped. All they have to do is do what He says. They go into the land. What did He do? He told them to wipe them out. Every man, woman, and child. Every one of them. Do everything. Just wipe out the animals and everything. Just wipe them out. Eh, Kind of. Take it by force. One town at a time. We have to take, as Christians now, and being equipped, we have to take the kingdom by force. That means we have to exercise self-discipline. Even in food, even in drink, even in sleep, even in our time, even in our money. Disciplined with all that. We must exercise self-control in the entertainment section of our lives and recreation. We must restrict some of those liberties that can hinder us from winning the prize. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. Deny yourselves all the excesses that would keep you from desiring the addiction of His majesty. Wouldn't you like to be addicted to His majesty? And every time you think about the beauty of Christ, secondly, strive to enter the narrow door. Luke 13.24 Strive. Strive. How do we strive against our fatal desires? Paul answers, I labor striving. Agonizomai. I strive by the power of Christ. Not our own. Colossians 1.29 Luke 13.24 And I have to...
kind of narrow this down here now. 13.24 Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Pound it in. I mean, this take it by force. Take it seriously. Christianity is not just a casual Christian to Garmo and Key. Bob will remember that one. I don't want to be... Some of our early church... I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't think there's anybody here who wants to be a casual Christian. Take it by force. That's what he's saying entering in this kingdom. Agonizomai. That says it all, doesn't it? Agon. Agon. It means to, to literally stretch it out to agonize, strive. Uh, Matthew 5.29, I'm going to turn there. This is how fierceness is in self-control. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. We're talking spiritual thing. Whatever it takes to stay away from sin, do it. Jesus is not going literally saying take out your eye or knock off your 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 arm or whatever. Uh, and then violence. Oh, violent. Uh, the fierce fruit of self-control is violence. It's something like what we just talked about there. Look in Matthew chapter 11. These are, these are hard terms, aren't they, that Jesus said. Gentle Jesus <laughs> used these terms. Matthew eleven twelve. We're not weak as Christians, folks. It's a strong thing to be a Christian. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. They, go, they really want it. When you see football teams win a game... And it comes down to that fourth quarter and there's two minutes left. I can tell you, the team that's going to win is the one that wants it the most. And they're going to give everything they have and they're going to lay it on the field. That's the winner. And he says, this is hard. Isn't this a hard statement? You know, here we talk about grace so much and it's all God. And it is. But now it's saying, okay, now that you're a Christian, here's what you have to You take Christianity serious. Quit playing around. You take, you're violent. Take it by force, this kingdom. You go in there strongly. Are you laying hold on to the kingdom fiercely? <laughs> the pursuit of self-control. Examine your own heart. Because that's where sin dwells. Sin dwells in your members, Romans 7 says. When I say you, guys, I'm not doing the point finger. I, I can't even have an idea. I have, I have a hard enough time with myself, so the finger really goes back here. You know that, don't you, when I say that? Because I'm in there with you. <laughs> but we have to have self-control to hold our hearts to God's law. And it all begins in the mind. It begins in the mind. What we're thinking. So this, this self-control is very close to what Wednesday night was. And, and again, I think coming up this coming up Wednesday night in the PowerPoint... Presentation. Isn't this interesting how God works in all this? And it just starts ringing a bell, doesn't it? What's that? I'm trying to steal my funding. Oh, I think you probably have plenty of time. You stole mine already. What are you talking about? Just preparing the way, brother. Strengthen and guard our weakest areas. Why? Because for most Christians, that's where our failure occurs. The enemy knows where your weak point is at. And when an army goes in, they find out the weakest points of the enemy. Where's your weak point? You know where it's at. Nobody has to tell you. You already know it. You know where that weak point is at. And you know where you're getting beat at. And you might say, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I warn you. I warn you. Spurgeon said this, there is a weakest point in every one of us. And remember, the strength of a rope is to be measured, not according to its strength and its strongest, but in the weakest part. 
Every engineer will tell you that the strength of a ship should always be estimated not according to her strongest, but her weakest part. For the whole ship can go down. Some people have a problem controlling anger, and I say some, I think all do. But you know who you are. I know who I am. Others might be their eyes, the eyes that get men into trouble. Temptations to sexual matters, the opposite sex. Some professing Christians are drawn to the pride of life, the wealth and the material things. They're drawn to that. It's good to honestly evaluate ourselves. What does it say? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. If you fail to deal with it, at that stage when temptation comes up, I want to tell you, you lose. It's going to overcome you. You need to nip it in the bud. You know what to do. You deal with it and you never let it get to a toehold or a foothold. Don't accept it at all. If you accept it here in the mind, you're already getting defeated. Don't allow it in your heart. It's already been in the sight of God. He knows. He knows all about us. He reads what happens in the heart and the imaginations. The fight for self-control is a fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.21 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. What did Paul say? I have fought the good fight of faith. Finish well. We're in the race. We're in the fight. Finish well. Get victory. Relinquish your control to Jesus Christ. That's what you do. Here's a paradox. We must give up control of self if we are to gain self-control. We have now ended the Fruit of the Spirit series. I think it's been quite a blessing. The Lord made me stay on it for each one of those. May it be ever-continuing for us. It doesn't end here, folks. Our series ends, will go on, but it doesn't end. It continues for us, and may we manifest the very character of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit works in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, as we strive in this Christian life, it's all by your grace. We've seen that. We qualify that. We don't do it by ourselves. We've already seen how the Christians do it on their own. We can't do it on our own and not in the flesh. It's all by your Spirit. But we are to be obedient. And yes, that that is the part where we do be synergistic, working with the Lord because of you in us. Now we work it out. And so that does come into play. And may we take the power that you've given us. May we take the weapons, the very weapons that we have to defeat the enemy, that self that wants all its desires to be finished to be fulfilled. And Lord, it's only in Christ that our true desires are to be. And if we realize that, we can defeat the enemy and be more and more victorious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.